Welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. This is Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer Speaks, and I'm coming to you live from Nashville, Tennessee, uh, where I am at Abe's Garden, and we're going to be talking about this uh, newer community and the fascinating things that they are doing down here. Um, but before uh, we get into that conversation, we're always getting new listeners, so I just want to uh, let you know of what Alzheimer Speaks is all about. And bottom line is we're an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. We believe the only way we can do this is by sharing forces and um, joining our knowledge plates together and having everyday conversations about life with dementia. Um, in doing this, we're able to increase awareness and remove stigmas attached to memory loss and help people dealing with dementia, not just those diagnosed, but those caring for them as well, continue to live with purpose. At our core, Alzheimer's Speaks believes collaboration is the only way we're going to win this battle against dementia. And I know that it's working because of all of you. You see, your likes, your clicks, your shares with your Twitter tribes, your Facebook friends, your LinkedIn colleagues, your Pinterest peeps, um, has gotten Alzheimer's Speaks named the number one influencer online, according to ShareCare and Dr. Oz. And what excites me about that is when we share information with all these extended people in our sphere of influence, we are making the discussion about Alzheimer's and dementia and caregiving a norm, and we're removing the fear. So many of us have people in our sphere of influence that we don't even know are dealing with this disease because people are so embarrassed to talk about it. They're afraid. They're ashamed. And so I urge you to continue to like and share not only the radio show, but our webinars called Dementia Chats, our, um, our blog, and as well as our, uh, our main website, Alzheimer Speaks, where people can get attached to everything. I'd also like to give a shout-out to the Caregiver Alert Center, known as the CAC. They are just doing a great job, and they just launched a new website um, that is very easy to, to utilize. And they work well if you're worried about maybe a loved one wandering or eloping. Um, very reasonable cost, but they tap into social media and um, can distribute flyers, work with the police, etc. So just to let you know that. <clears throat> also, you might be listening and thinking, hey, i got a story to tell. Well, here on Alzheimer Speaks Radio, we like to raise everyone's voice. So maybe you're a person who's diagnosed with dementia. Maybe you're a family member um, or a researcher or an advocate, um, a musician, a playwright, an author. We, we want to hear everyone's voice. Um, maybe you're a community like Abe's Garden doing some cool things that you want to share with the world. We would love to hear that. So just go to alzheimerspeaks.com 
And you can go ahead and hit the contact button and reach out to me, and we'll connect and uh, see about having you on as a guest. Now, today, like I said, I I have been so excited about coming to Nashville um, to actually see uh, the development itself, Abe's Garden. This campus is unbelievable. And we're lucky to have Judy Schmerling Givens with us, who is the Director of Campus Development here at Abe's Garden. She began working with her brother Michael um, and his team back in 2006 to develop Abe's Garden um, in memory of their father, Abram um, Schmerling. And um, their family story is is so significant um, and is making such a great impact, not just here in Nashville, but really around the world in terms of how they are approaching this disease. Um, The idea... Uh, that they came up with was to create a nurturing and innovative community that provides new hope for families that are dealing with Alzheimer's and other related dementias. And I can tell you, they have done just that. Mm. So welcome to the show, Judy. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for all you're doing to help raise awareness and help people connect to services and new ideas to take care of their loved ones with Alzheimer's and dementia. Well, this has been such an honor to to be with you guys, uh, you know, this past 24 hours here and learn and to actually physically be able to see and touch um, your community. I had your your brother on and Andrew on uh, back in the day when you guys were still raising funds and, and, you know, the property wasn't built yet. And it is absolutely incredible, hands down. Um, from what I've seen, and I go around the country looking at a lot of places, it is just unbelievable. I mean, it really is a standard of excellence. And so I can't wait uh, for you to kind of share your story um, a little bit more of of why you approached this community the way you did. Can you give our audience um, just a little bit of background? Uh, People always like to know what got you started um, on this mission? What brought you into the realm of, of Alzheimer's? Um, can you tell us a little bit about your father? I sure will. My uh, my father was a physician. He was raised in Augusta, Georgia, and he uh, went into the Navy, and he came home, came to Nashville to study medicine. Um, and as he was growing up, you know, I knew that my grandmother was uh, aging differently. I had two grandparent grandmothers, and they were aging differently. And we we look back on it now and recognize that, that his mother was living with Alzheimer's. Um, I don't think they had the diagnosis at that time. And later on, his sister also developed Alzheimer's, and that's what he, you know, his sister and his mother both died with. Um, and that was three out of five in his house. So when my father started to develop the symptoms, you know, both because he was a physician and had been a family doctor and knew what Alzheimer's and dementia was, he knew what was was happening to him and what was kind of coming down the pike. And we, because his his descent was around 11 years, 10 or 11 years that we know of, you know, often when you have very intelligent people, they can hide it in the earlier stages, but we know of a 10 or 11 years that he was declining and trying to find the right fit of services at the different stages was really a challenge for us. Um, and, and here we, we did everything I think most families that I speak with now are doing, which is you try to bring in services into the home. You try to find the least 
um, secluded type of environment. You want to have him in, you know, we had him in assisted living. We had him in adult day. We got him a driver. We got him a personal care person. And ultimately, he moved into a memory care community um, and, and actually several memory care communities because we didn't find a really good fit. And I think that that, that journey for us, we knew, was not unique. We, we knew of many people that were having the same struggles and really believing that there was a better way that care could be provided. My, I credit my brother, Michael, who was just really brilliant at, at pulling together resources and people and a really good idea. And he was the one that decided, I'm just going to build it. If I can't find what I'm looking for, and that's what set us on the course to start designing Abe's Garden. And we actually had a, a piece of property that we wanted to build on and started talking with folks about what Abe's Garden needed to to have, what it needed to be to be the best. Um, and my brother was really uh, had done a lot of research, and he had recognized that a lot of the other major killers of people from illness um, were declining. The heart disease, stroke, and cancers, and HIV were all declining, and Alzheimer's and dementia was skyrocketing, in part because people were living longer with the treatments for those other illnesses, but there was also a piece missing. And for him, that piece was the relationship between a major medical university and a care community. And that's mm -hmm. what they had done to bring the, the statistics down on some of these other diseases. So he joined forces with folks at Vanderbilt. He had an advisory council. Um, we began looking at programs around the country to find best practices. And that's what, you know, that's what got us on the right path. We found a lot of wonderful communities all over this country doing great things. Um, the piece that was in common with all of those was the person-centered care. And we brought to our program a wonderful dining program from Connecticut and a bathing program from North Carolina. There's a pet therapy program from Texas and a, an engagement. What do you do with people all day? Um, the I'm Still Here from Hearthstone from Massachusetts. All of them were person-centered care, and all of them are in operation here in this community. And we're doing research to determine if these are best practices. Well, it's it's fascinating because I hear so many times, you know, people are checking out what other communities are doing and trying to bring pieces back. But you guys are really implementing things in a in a different light. I mean, you really have taken kind of this 360 look at the impact of each discipline that you're bringing in um, down to training, to furnishings, to staff patterns, to, you know, that true engagement piece, to observation. I've never, I, I really have never seen any community do what you're doing here. Um, and so when you when you bring all these things back, and a lot of people talk about evidence-based, can you tell people what you're doing to, you know, have that evidence-based proof of these engagement features and how how you're how you're analyzing that and how that's working for you? Sure, you know the um, that term evidence-based is is a very global term. 
when we started to design our program, we knew we didn't have to invent the wheel. Um, we, we brought in programs that were already evidence-based. They, they had been tested, and there was some research to support that they were best practices. But, you know, even the best practices, if they're not implemented the same, it's going to be different. So mm-hmm. we, we have hired a full-time continuous quality improvement person. Our person is, is named Chris Coelho, and he's been amazing. Um, he has a background as a caregiver, so he knows the work specifically as a caregiver, and he also has a research background. And part of what he does is a tremendous amount of observation. And we have certain measures that we have been watching since the day we opened, and there's new ones coming up as, as a need arrives. So, for instance, if we had noticed that folks were not, we had folks that were losing weight, we started to measure the meals, how much of the meal, what percentage of a meal someone was, was eating, um, especially those that were losing weight. And if they were losing, if they weren't eating at least 50% of their meal, we would offer them something else or we would make sure we were giving them enough one-on-one support at mealtime. Um, and in one situation, we had a gentleman that we noticed was only eating soft foods, and it turned out to be a dental problem. And through mm-hmm. that observation, we were able to get him to a dentist and get that problem corrected, and he began to eat and gain weight. So that observation can be critically important um, both in terms of the care that you're providing as well as to identify training needs if there's a, an area that we want our staff to be doing and it's not happening, it helps us identify what those barriers are so we can address them. Um, and if we find out that what we're doing, thinking it's a best practice, turns out to not be a best practice, we will change it. I mean, the, the broader goal for Abe's Garden, beyond giving fabulous care to the 42 families that live here, the residents and their families, um, and to have a great program for the staff, is to clarify what are those best practices and then to disseminate that model. It's not our goal to have one really great community. Our goal is to influence how care is being provided across the country or even the world is to say, this is a best practice and you know, you too can do this. And that's really the the broader goal for Abe. So we we are working to look at the environment of care. There will be other people, we hope, that are researching, you know, brain imaging and and the development of medications and treatments. Our focus is on the environment of care. And that does mean your caregivers, we call them care partners here, we know that you have to have longevity. The best practice is that you don't constantly change staff on people that can't remember and form relationship well. So we have to take care of our staff. We have to have innovative compensation model, and we have an innovative staffing model, and we have an in- they participate in the engagement programming um, because we think that's going to help with the relationship with the residents, and we think it's going to help to uh, make their jobs more fun. They're not just taking care of bathing and dressing and and activities of daily living. And again, we'll do research, and if we find out that's not correct, we'll make changes. But that's our approach. 
Well, and I and I like that, and it sounds so basic that you would think, well, if it's not working, of course, people are going to change it, but that really isn't the model out there. <laughs> um, right. You know, a lot of people, you just get into this routine, it's the way it's always been done, and, and that's such a critical aspect, because when you open the mind, you open the heart to new ways, and I think the, the creative flow in terms of being able to connect with people just just blossoms. Um, can you talk a little bit about your staffing and, and how you do staff training? Because I find this just really exciting, too, because you're taking a very different approach um, from most in terms of how you're doing staff training. Yes. I mean, the staff training is a big piece of this. You know, we we feel like the care partners and the, the all the staff that are over at AIDS need to be the, the, the highest on the totem pole, not the low man on the totem pole. They are the ones we have to honor and we have to support. And we have to make this the place that, that folks want to work. So part of that goes back to your compensation model. And we're testing out a model where we're doing a 45-hour work week, which is very innovative. It is planned overtime. And our hope is, or our expectation is that in order to get your five hours at time and a half, you have to show up for your 40, which is, uh, we'll, we'll hope we'll cut down on the call outs. The planned overtime is already scheduled in so that it's not asking somebody to rearrange their life to stay late because someone called out. It's scheduled. So they know when they're going to be working a nine hour day, five days a week, for instance. Um, but by getting that time and a half for five hours a week, you get into a much better pay scale, um, which mm-hmm. is a, more of a living wage. Um, the other thing that we did was to establish a career ladder so that it's not a dead-end position. In a lot of communities, if you're a caregiver, that's what you're going to be. Um, what we've done is we have the, the core training that every employee is going to have where they learn the basics about dementia and they learn you know the basic information that we think everybody, customer service and what our philosophy is. Um, but then there's a career ladder which every employee has the opportunity to move through and the training is going to give them more and more skills and upon completion, the quality improvement and the trainer and some of the management team are going to be um, doing observations to have them demonstrate these competencies. We're not just giving them a test after the segment. They they don't come in for a training and you know watch something for an hour and then we say go do it and hope they're doing it. We're going to be observing for those competencies and once they demonstrate the competencies after completing the training, they move up on the career ladder. And that would come with an increase in pay. So there's a motivation to work your way through the training modules. And we've got right now uh, a level one career ladder and a level two career ladder, and we're continuing to develop. We've also got positions of mentors and lead care partners um, so they can begin to demonstrate their leadership skills and develop their leadership skills and be able to move into a role where they're helping train the new staff. Um, so it's not a flat line position. There's opportunity for engagement higher up the career ladder. And we hope that will wow. motivate people to stay. 
Well, I, you know, to me, it's um, and even just meeting your staff here. Um, I think I told, I think I shared it with you that it's like, you know, everyone's got a smile on their face. Everyone's engaged, both residents, staff, and family. And that's really rare um, to see everybody be so connected. Um, and, and it was really it was really nice to see, needless to say. But I think you're really building um, a community and a family base that says we can make a difference. And each of you is incredibly important in that mission. And, and when you empower staff, with that, you know, they're going to believe that instead of, you know, this is your job and you're limited to just doing this and no, we don't want to hear from you. I really hear and feel from you and your staff that there is this open door policy in terms of exploring possibilities to really be the very best and um, to, to truly engage that that, I mean, I, I hear the word engaged, you know, constantly here versus this is your job, you know, and, yeah. and that's a, that's a big difference in, in culture, um, you know, community culture and statement of why is somebody there. So I think that that's just so beautiful because I think it's very much needed. People want to feel like they have purpose, and I think you're, I think you're giving your staff um, that ability to feel purposeful and not just show up for a job, but that yeah. their job really matters. And 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 I would imagine, and it sounded like from Andrew when I talked when we talked last night that um, your your turnover is way less than the average bear out there, and I would imagine that that has to do with they feel engaged, they feel a part of this community, and that they're valued. I I hope that is what's happening. I mean that is what we that's our aim. You know, we've been open a little over a year, so we still have, you know, we have in our minds what this will look like, and then we have our reality, which is way better than anything I had ever seen, but we have ways to go to to really fully reach our potential. But one of the things I love about the way this works with the staff is, you know, when we have a challenging behavior from a resident, we have a process that we do that, that's part of our training through the um, Hearthstone model, the I'm Still Here model. But we, we sit down and we really look at the behavior and we say, well, you know, when is it happening and where is it happening and who's around and um, when doesn't it happen and what do we think might be driving that behavior and what are some ideas. And it's the staff who are generating these ideas. And they mm-hmm. come up with five or six things to go try. And then they go back to this resident and they try these things and then they share their successes so we can all do it. That is, that's where the creativity of this work comes. And that, that's what gets me excited to, to have the opportunity to say, you know, if you found something that works, share it with everybody because we want to make sure that we can all do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is empowering your staff to to be to find those creative solutions and and uh we we do huddles where they can talk for ten minutes on a particular training issue um if there's something we want to work on how we invite them to an activity or how we physically approach them or on mouth care, whatever the topic is that we've noticed needs to be addressed, so they get that ten minutes you know, where we give them some things to try or they tell us what they're trying and what's working. So I, I hope that that's the experience for them, that they feel valued because otherwise you're just a really pretty community. If you don't mm-hmm. have the staff really feeling like they have something to offer. 
Yeah. Can you explain to people just the, the physical layout and design? Because I, I, that took me back, too, um, and in a really nice way, but it's so open, so spacious, so um, I think I shared with you, it just it just has good juju. You know, you just feel yeah. no matter where you are, there's like no hidden crevices. It's just every everything just feels really good, and it's it's so open. The lighting, the coloring, the furnishings. I mean, it's it's kind of incredible. The gardens, the walking paths, um, and how you have set up your three different kind of neighborhoods in here very purposely and intentionally. Um, and talk about that because it, it's fascinating. Sure. Well, you hit on a lot of the, the major points. You know, when we started to design the, the physical building, it was really a wonderful opportunity to have a blank slate and design for your purpose as opposed to converting an existing assisted living and putting a lock on the door and saying you have secured memory care. So it was a very nice luxury. Um, the other luxury we had was the market crashed when we started raising money, and we ended up with seven and a half years to work on our design. So um, we, we had the opportunity to really think about and be thoughtful about the decisions we made. Um, and a lot of the lessons were learned from our own experiences with my father and, and my, sis, my his sister, the different uh, types of environments that we had observed. So the, the things that we really wanted, um, we did not want folks to feel locked in. We wanted a sense of openness and freedom of movement so that they didn't feel like they were in a prison. Um, and I, I heard that term mink prison from a family that had their dad in a, a community that was very swank and beautiful, but he referred to it as his mink prison. And I definitely didn't want anybody to feel that way. Um, we wanted it to have a residential feel, a very nice home, very contemporary kind of feel to it, um, but lots of open space with access to the outside. We didn't, we didn't want them to, to feel like they couldn't be outside when they wanted. Um, so we designed a space with three distinct neighborhoods, but they're all connected. And each one has program areas that fit the theme. So we have the music and movement household, which is our largest, and has a big open space for large group activities so we can have music and dance programming in that space. Um, but within it also, as you mentioned, there's lots of places to be and there will be something to catch your attention and engage you. We wanted to have this sense for the residents that wherever you are, it's where you're supposed to be and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You know, I've had folks say, well, it's so big. How do people know where to go and don't they get lost? And But the truth is, if you're wherever you are, there's somebody will invite you to be engaged or you'll see something that catches your attention like the aviary or the conservatory or you might engage with the cat um, or the art studio. But there's always something to catch your attention and, and to engage you. Um, the uh, second household is the smallest of the three. It is our connection to nature. Um, in each household, the artwork will reflect the theme of the house that kind of helps with the wayfinding. And there's subtle changes as you move from one household to the next. The lighting changes, the flooring changes, the coloring changes. So you know that you're in a different space. Um, everything is not cookie cutter. 
but you can have lunch in any of the households and you can visit friends or you can go to programming in the different households. The third house is the arts and lifelong learning and the art studio is there. Um, that one is, has uh, 13 residents. Each household, the focal point in each household is the kitchen, living room, and dining area. That's where people tend to want to hang out when they're at home. They can observe the meals being prepared. They can smell the food cooking. I think when we walked through, we smelled brownies or cookies being baked. Mm -hmm. um, we did not want an institutional smell. We wanted it to smell like home. Um, being able to smell the toast and coffee and eggs and bacon cues you that it's time for breakfast and it stimulates your appetite. So we, we wanted to have those cues in the environment and to make it feel like home. Um, we wanted lots of natural light. We wanted minimal sense of long hallways that have doors on either side and feels very institutional. So those are some of the things that we incorporated um, each household has a front door that leads to the courtyard, and that's the door families come in and out when they come to visit. And those doors are not locked to the residents. So if the family member is leaving through that door, they are free to go in and out those doors as well. So the whole environment is, is self-contained but has a feeling of great openness and freedom of it, movement. It really does. And even with kind of some of the main doors, you, you've almost hidden them. So, you know, for some residents that want to go home and are always looking kind of for the great escape, it's not, it doesn't even come to mind because there's so much activity um, and so many opportunities if somebody just wants to sit quietly or if they want to be involved in an activity or look out the window or, I mean, it, there's just so many different things that you don't really look for that great escape versus, you know, I, I think in some places it's just, it's in front of um, residents and they know that they want to leave. You know, it doesn't yeah. feel like home. They see people coming and going and why can't they come and go? And they have that, you know, you've got that enclosed beautiful patio um, with, you know, really it looks like a full kitchen and a fire pit area and um, arts and things for kids to play on. And, I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it's designed so nicely and you can look out the window and really see it all in a glance. So, you know, if, if somebody were, let's say, missing on the floor, you could see in two seconds if they were outside and you already know that they're in a safe area, that that's an okay area for them to be in to begin with. Um, but to, just to be able to enjoy nature, um, I think, is such a, a big plus. And one of my favorite people who has dementia, Harry Urban, out in Pennsylvania, and I, I quote him all the time on this, but, you know, he, he talks about sometimes we get so occupied with trying to keep somebody busy we don't just let them be and he, mm -hmm. you know and he would love it here because he loves gardening he loves to listen to the birds and you know smell the flowers and feel you know a breeze on his face and and the sunshine on his skin and and he would just adore it here because yeah. it, that's home you know that's what he likes and appreciates and I know when we were talking, you had mentioned that you really try to get people outdoors, you know, at least once a day if possible. And, you know, it probably isn't for everybody, but you guys seem to have a really good read on that or um, even, you know, your flexibility with meal meal times and things like that. So it is more home-like um, right. versus rigid and structured. 
Um, and that's a good balance to try and, and find. You know, people, uh, we really believe that engagement is the antidote to a lot of the uh, distressing behavior. And when I say distressing, I mean for the resident, for the person with dementia, um, mm-hmm. feeling agitated and anxious and, and that I'm supposed to be doing something and I don't know what it is and I don't know where it is, but it's got to be out that door because everybody's coming in and out. That feeling is not comfortable for, for folks. They they want routine. They want familiarity. They, there's comfort in knowing that they're that where they're supposed to be and doing what they're supposed to be doing. So we, we want to have plenty of opportunity for engagement because that's that stops that exit-seeking. When you're engaged in something, you're not looking for a way out. You know, you're not mm-hmm. obsessing on when's my daughter coming. You're busy. It's in yeah. those moments when you're not engaged that you're going to start going down those those um, habitual thought patterns. You know, that's your default position is I want to go home, I want to go home, I want to go home. Um, and, and a lot of folks, they're home and don't know they're home. So it's what home represents. Um, yep. So you want to keep people engaged and you want to invite them, but you also want to allow those quiet moments. And some people love group activity and some people are are isolated. They like to be alone. They like Mm -hmm. to just sit and think or or be outside. So you, you have a lot of invitation and you have a lot of flexibility because that's what being person centered is about. Yeah, and I, I think the the term person centered, you know, in my opinion, is overused and and under understood in terms of the depth of what that really means. You know, um, I, I think sometimes person centered can can be, um, and I've seen this where, where I feel it's superficial, um, and it really isn't a depth of connection. And um, and I. I what I saw here in just a short time I was here, I really, I, I not only saw, but I felt a depth of connection that, you know, this is, you know, this is really a gathering of friends. Um, you know, the way staff approached it, it wasn't, it wasn't a job. It wasn't lecturing. Um, they seemed to really enjoy being here and being part mm-hmm. of this community, um, which is, which is a, a big difference. Um, you know, from from what I see sometimes when I when I go out and about. Can you talk about your club? Um, because I think that that just the verbiage that you use and what the club is um, is is a real brilliant um, stance in itself. Well, thank you. Um, our club is our adult day program, and we called it the club because we understood that as an adult we didn't want to go to daycare that has such a negative connotation for an adult. But to spend a day at the club is something that people will do and enjoy doing. So we designed our adult day program, which we call the club, so that uh, we were able to meet the needs of a broader group of people. You know, Again, we were limited to 42 residents in the community. But the adult day program allows us to have folks that are still living at home and perhaps in that transition, where the families are feeling like they need structure and they need programming and stimulation and socialization, but I'm not quite ready to move them. And so they will join our club. We have five-day-a-week and three-day-a-week options, and the three-day is either Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So actually our club is six days a week. Um, And the participants come for the the program day, which is 9.30 to 3.30 in the afternoon, 
And around 10 o'clock, once the uh, residents have had their breakfast and they're mostly dressed and ready to start the program day, the club members become part of that activity. So some of the residents will come to the club program area and some of the club members will go into the households and join whatever is being offered. And we offer different programming for different levels of functioning based on kind of their cognitive abilities, their physical abilities, mobility. Um, and so we have, and this is from the Hearthstone I'm Still Here model, but we have our discovery group, our vitality group, and our serenity group. And that for us is how we identify folks that are in that more cognitively uh, able, ver verbal. They can plan and organize and, and do activities like um, they, they've got a, a newspaper called the Gazette where they decide what the articles will be. They do the interviews. They write the stories. They take the photographs. They do the layout. And they're able to, with some support, to do those things. The uh, garden club for the, for the discovery group will design where the different flowers go based on the height that they're going to grow to. Um, the vitality group is, are more mid-stage. They, they need more support and more structure. They may have more language problems. Um, the garden club for them may be watering the plants within the community, helping uh, start the seeds in the garden and help things get planted and harvesting. They designed uh, markers to put in the garden. Um, so there's lots of opportunity. And then for the serenity group, which is really more of the late stage, we'll have programming for those folks that's going to be more sensory. Mm -hmm. So their garden club may be smelling the lavender that we grew and making sachets and making lotions that we incorporate some of the herbs um, and then using those for hand and foot rubs. So at every stage, there's a way to adapt the activities for everybody. And our club members are pretty much going to be in that discovery to vitality group. Um, we, we expect that if they were still at home that they'd be a little bit in that higher functioning earlier stages. And um, so they'll come into the households and they'll participate in the vitality programming or the discovery programming and, and mix evenly with the residents. So it's been working really well. Well, that's nice. Um, one of the things here that uh, I wanted to talk about was even just your furnishings in the room. Um, you know, the ca cabinets that can lock if it's a problem, chairs that have patents pending. Um, in your bathroom, you have um, uh, handicap accessible things, but they also can bend and lift up if somebody doesn't need them. I mean, I was just amazed at all the different little things that you've come to make life easier. Can you can you um, expound on some of those? Sure. You know, we, uh, we've had some wonderful partners, as I've said. Um, we worked with a company called Furnished Living, and they were designing a new line of furnishings for our suites um, that were specifically designed to ensure safety and support independence with our Alzheimer's memory care residents. So every piece has features that are, are designed to meet those goals. We also charged them with designing these furnishings at a price point that was comparable with any other furnishings that you would be putting into a community because their hope is that other communities will bring these things in. Um, so we are the first 
company, first agency to have any of their furnishings. So um, we were able to give them feedback both in the design and build of it as well as in testing it. Um, so you would see in some of those, if you go to the Apes Garden website, you'll you'll be able to see some of the suites and, and see some of these pictures. Um, but they've done things like with the bed, they inset the base so that the but they're solid, so you can't be stuffing things and losing things under the bed. But it's inset enough that they can't stub their toe. Uh, we're not allowed to have guardrails because that's considered restraint. So they designed this really lovely sleigh bed looking um, backing for it, so that they have something to push up on to get out of the bed, as well as something to help them stay in. Um, a lot of them wanted to have their beds against the wall because they felt more secure, like they wouldn't fall out. And so this gives them a little bit of that security without making them feel trapped or locked in. Um, the bedside table has a nightlight at the base of it, so it lights the way to the bathroom, which is in view of the bed. So it's going to direct them if they woke up in the nighttime and had to go to the bathroom. The glider chair is a lovely, comfortable glider that has a patent pending on the mechanism that locks it in place when you go to stand up. So it stops gliding and gives them a really solid base to use to get themselves up. Um, the cabinet that you mentioned, the mm -hmm. wardrobe, uh, we designed it with a magnet clasp. that It's a catch up at the top that we don't have to engage. And if you don't engage it, the doors will just open and close. But we have found that you will encounter some residents who are overwhelmed with too many choices. And what ends up happening is all their clothes end up on the floor or they end up putting every piece of clothing on at the same time. And that ends up you know, taking a lot of time for the staff to try and help put the room back together. So one of the things that we wanted to test was to be able to have the panels magnetically close so that and there's no handle so it doesn't appear that there's a door that's supposed to open my dad used to get frustrated pulling on a handle of a locked door that you mm -hmm. know he, he he felt like it's supposed to open and that frustrated him but if it doesn't appear to open it just looks like a solid panel and so you could have where only one panel would open and have two choices of clothing so that they could successfully select and not be overwhelmed there's also a place on the uh, front of each of the drawers where you could label what goes in each drawer. That this one has your underwear and your shorts, and this has your socks and and you know pants. So it was really to help cue them, and again, that's to help them be more successful. Um, mm -hmm. In the bathroom, you you mentioned the the handrails that can be um, lifted up and put out of the way or lowered so they can get themselves up. And that helps the staff be able to assist if they need it. And if not, then they can use it themselves. Um, so, again, these were all things that uh, there's pocket doors. We found that they some people wanted a door that shut to the bathroom, but we didn't want to take up half the wall with the door that opened, so they designed it with pocket doors. There was just a lot of thoughtfulness, I think, in how the rooms were designed and laid out. Yeah, it 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 was amazing to um, see because I mean I saw the bed and I thought oh that's a nice bed and then you said well this is why and then it was like oh my gosh every you know every nook and cranny everything in here um, was really thought about it wasn't just we'll pull a designer in and we'll make it look pretty it really had to be functional on a very detailed level and and I think that that was um, 
incredible that you guys took the time to do that. And um, I, it, it's just, it's wonderful. And the views, um, the openness um, with the views are, is also something so impressive too, because it's everything is light and bright no matter where you go. And the, the space is so opened. Um, it, it, for the most part, and the rooms are down the hall, so once you're out in that area, it's not like they're calling you to come back to your room or, you know, it, because there's just so much offered uh, for someone to be engaged. And then same with staffing, too. All, all the staff seem to be very personable um, with everybody and really, um, I just really kind of felt the love from your staff and oh. um, that they really knew the people that they were interacting with. And, yeah. um, and, and that's, that's pretty cool too. Cause everybody was, uh, you know, calling people by name and um, yeah, it was, it was, it's just, it's been a very fun experience for me to be here. So I, I really oh. appreciate you um, sharing. Um, Thank you. I'm, I'm glad doing. that you were able to experience that while you were here. Cause it, you know, and, and it's, um, and that has been the experience, you know, for me, it, having conceptualized this and thought about it and planned to see it open and having the residents here and the staff and um, and seeing it being realized. It, it, you know, they talk about a dream come true. It really, it is so gratifying. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm glad that when people come to tour, and I do the tours with folks when they want to come and see the community. I'm the one that tells the story and takes them on the, the walks. And, and that's the feedback I pretty consistently get. Um, they can feel a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when I talked with your uh, families this morning, you know, I just, I kept saying how lucky they were to be able to have this in their community because this is not the norm. You know, I would love for it to become the norm, and I'm thrilled that you guys are open to sharing all that you've learned and all that you've done with other communities so that they can start incorporating things. Um, if it's, you know, through a, um, you know, um, what do I want to say, uh, through renovation or if they're starting from scratch, um, I just think that it's uh, it's so much easier when we share our knowledge. And, um, again, that's something that is starting to change here in dementia care. But for so long, everybody was so siloed, and, and I think it still is to my my personal liking. We're still more siloed than I'd like to see it. Um, but changes have really changed um, how we are approaching things. And even when you said... You know, it took seven and a half years for you guys because of the the market crash and um, changes. In some ways, that was a gift, you know, because because I think dementia care has come really a far way, far um, far way in just that seven and a half years or ten in the past ten years. There's been so much that's changed, and so you had you know as much as you didn't want to wait, you probably were able to incorporate things that didn't exist or weren't discussed prior. Absolutely. By having having that extra time. Yeah. Um, Now, can you uh, tell us if there, you know, what is the the one thing you're the most proud of um, in this whole process or that has filled your heart the most? Wow. To pick one thing. (laughs) You know, (laughs) that is so hard, you know, 
because there's really so much that's coming together. I, you know, we have a very strong team, mm-hmm. and I think that the team is, and especially at the management level, you have to set the tone. And I think that our team is is doing that. Um, that's how we're able to bring these wonderful care partners onto the campus and and keep them and to keep the innovation, to keep listening to our staff and to our families and to our residents and be able to be responsive so that we can implement these best practices and then Mm -hmm. determining if they are. So I'm very proud of that, but I'm also proud of the process of disseminating this model and, and, you know, we, we we still have a ways to go. We are, we're never going to call the program done. You know, this Mm -hmm. is never, you know, so whether it was seven years or 10 years or 15, there's always new things that are we're going to identify and say, that looks to be a best practice. Let's try it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's what's going to keep it fresh. And, you know, and, and we've got new things coming. You know, we, we really want to start building our community based for folks that don't live here. And how do we help people who are not going to live at Apes Garden but live in rural areas or live in want to stay at home? How do we help share what we were learning that works with folks that don't mm-hmm. live here. So that's what the future holds. But, I mean, there's an awful lot that fills me, you know, mm-hmm. with great well, pride and, and love. Yeah, your dad's just got to be smiling down on you guys, going, good job. Yeah, if there's something good that could come out of, of living with dementia and dying with dementia, I'm, I'm this is it. This is mm-hmm. For me, I can't think of anything that that could be more gratifying. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Now, in terms of next steps for you guys, what what do you foresee in the future? Well, you know, we we want to keep looking for best practices and be able to implement them. We are continuing to work on the research. And I, I hope that we will have bigger research projects happening as we form alliances with other communities and other educational institutions. You know, we've gotten a lot of interest um, in doing that and, and then maybe even being a training ground. That's that's something where people would come and, and learn with us and train with us and be able to take what we're doing back to their communities. Um, or if they're building, to come here before they build and get ideas that they would then implement. And just last week we were at the Leading Age Conference and a lot of people were stopping by our booth to talk to us about our design and about the furnishings and about the programming because they're they're working to build um, mm-hmm. or to renovate. And so, you know, I think that we want to keep being on the forefront of these best practices and, and then disseminating that so that we can help elevate how care is provided um, and, and across the communities. Um, and, you know, we're, we're certainly applying for grants and trying to continue to raise the funds to um, help us meet those goals. Um, and then, as I mentioned, certainly the community-based piece is, mm-hmm. is coming down the pike. That's the next project I get to work on, in addition to helping families um, find their way to Abe's Garden. But, you know, again, we don't we knew the impact of 42 families at a time was a drop in the bucket to the need. So mm-hmm. our goal was much larger is how do we have a bigger impact? And that's going to be through research and through disseminating the model and doing this outreach. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Well, wonderful. Well, again, I, I can't thank you enough for sharing Abe's Garden with me today. It's just uh, to be able to get to know your staff and finally be able to see your community and meet some of your residents and and families. It's really been um, an honor for me. Um, and I will be talking you guys up um, as I go around the country speaking with people, letting them know the, the difference that you guys are making and your willingness to share what it is that you've learned. Oh, I know what I wanted to um, have you mention was the the packet that you gave me um, that people can get online in terms of what to look for in a community. Can you, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. I'm so glad you remembered to ask me. Yes. (laughs) We, we have worked, you know, one of the partnerships with Vanderbilt, we've worked with uh, Jack Schnelly and Sandra Simmons that are with the community, the quality aging at Vanderbilt. And they got a grant from the Pat Summit Foundation to develop a guide for um, identifying a quality memory care community. And we help by printing those guides and we give them out to people when they tour and when they um, come by and we and we give it to other communities so they can use this tool to look at a community objectively and to compare so it identifies what quality should look like what to mm-hmm. look for who to talk to what questions to ask and most importantly what are the answers that say this is a quality community and we certainly set our standards using this tool and we're sharing it and telling other communities that people will come and ask these questions and be looking for these things so we encourage communities to evaluate themselves and elevate their own responses look at their own practices and see how they're measuring up to what quality looks like um, we do have a link to that on our website at abesgarden.org. So anybody that wants to download it from abesgarden.org, and they could probably contact the Pat Summit Foundation to get copies as well. So mm-hmm. uh, it's a very valuable tool, and I'm, I'm glad you remembered to ask about that. Yeah, well, I was so impressed with that, and I can't wait to pass that on to our Roseville team in Minnesota because um, we're talking about, you know, educating families on that. And it's like, oh, that would be perfect to be able to point them to something that already exists instead of recreating the wheel. Mm -hmm. So, um, Well, Judy, I I can't thank you enough for your time and um, your graciousness in in terms of of hosting me here and letting me feel a part, because I did. I I, I just feel like part of your family here. Well, we loved having you. And um, I really encourage um, people to check out Abe's Garden. And you can go to abesgarden.org to get more information. And, you know, if you're a family in the community here, I'm sure they would love to give you a tour. Or um, are you um, touring professionals as well who are interested in seeing live what you're doing? Are you guys open to that as well? Okay. We are. We do organizational tours and um, you know, as long as it, it, you know, if we get too many demands, then we probably will ask for, you know, do do them together. Uh, we try to not take more than four people at a time through the community because it can be disruptive to the residents there. Um, so we're we're not wanting to bring a group of 15 or 20 people through at once, but we definitely can bring communities and and other professionals and and folks in the community that want to see what we're doing. And I think that's part of our goal to disseminate. 
Great. Well, um, again, Judy, thank you so much for your time and your family's efforts in truly making a difference in the world um, of dementia care. I I can't wait to see more people here um, and physically see what it is you're doing here. Um, And again, feel free to call Abe's Garden um, and get a tour if you're a family, if you are a professional they would love to meet with you and share what it is they are doing. You can uh, go to abesgarden.org or you can email Judy at jgiven, that's G-I-V-E-N, at abesgarden.org. Um, in wrapping up the show today, I just want to, again, thank everyone for listening. Please share this show. This is powerful stuff that is going on. And um uh, it's so uplifting in terms of our dementia care culture. You can also uh, check out our blog. We've got some recent articles on there. Um, one has to do with Haley Richmond, a little nine-year-old who has won the um, Hasbro Award um, for her work with dementia, which is really exciting. Um, and we're also going to be um, putting on the blog this week uh, a new film called Fragile Storm. And it's a very powerful, dramatic piece about the unknowing in dementia care. Uh, Look for our dementia chats as well. You can just go to alzheimerspeaks.com and you can find um, all of our latest radio shows and our videos with the dementia chats uh, that are up there, um, information on speaking engagements and all kinds of different things. So, again, thank you all so much and have a brilliant week. And know um, that our election will be done soon, and, uh, and hopefully we can get on with a good life here in the U.S. Thanks, everybody. Bye now. Bye. Hi everyone, this is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me, listen now, search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.